0: Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a real life rock star on the show, Hall of Fame speaker, absolutely amazing human being, Dr. Tony Alessandra is joining us today. So do me a favor and share this out to all of your friends, your family, and Hang tight, we will be right with you. And we're back. Let's bring Tony Alessandra on. Tony, welcome to the (laughs) show.
1: Thanks, Ken.
0: So grateful to have you here. I've heard about you for years. And then our mutual buddy, Jim Cathcart, was like, well, Tony's my best friend. I'm like, then you've got to get him on here, man. (laughs) So welcome to the show. I'm so grateful to have you here. So now I started this show a little over four years ago, and um, it it was really to help people get unstuck in life. And I I think we all go through the ups and downs and get stuck here and there. And um, I, I just love hearing people's stories about how they got stuck and overcame it. So why don't we start with where you were born and raised, where it all began for you? Well, I was born right in New York City, in the city itself. First three
1: years, uh, lived in the Lower East Side of New York City. Then we moved to the Chelsea area for six more years. Then over to Brooklyn in an all Italian neighborhood right near uh, Coney Island. Uh, then at 12, moved to Jersey City for three years. Uh, and uh, at uh, 15, moved over to the jersey shore which is toms river new jersey seaside heights yeah uh, that's where i went to high school um and uh you know it, when i graduated high school uh went to the university of notre dame so i was there for four years but during those four years well yeah during those four years my parents still lived in new jersey and then moved back to that Bensonhurst section of brooklyn while wow. i was at notre dame uh, And it wasn't until I was about 23 that I pretty much permanently left the New York, New Jersey area.
0: You went to Notre Dame. That's uh, uh, you got to know this guy right here, Ben Gay the third. Oh yes, 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 yes. Ben's awesome. So, um, so isn't that Scott McCain's stomping grounds? (laughs) No, over Indiana. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it was. Now
1: he's in Las Vegas. Yeah, I know. I know. I love. Yeah.
0: That. No. So yeah, Indiana. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah so I was there for four years, and it, it was a culture shock for me because I was getting ready to say that's got to be huge. Oh, it was. It really was uh, in in a variety of ways. So you know, first eighteen years of my life really never left New York and New Jersey. Now I go to Indiana. It was like a whole new country to me. They used different words. I would, I would say, you know, I'd go into this little uh, uh, coffee shop and I would order uh, uh, a cherry soda. And they would give me uh, a cherry soda with a scoop of ice cream in it. And I would say, no, I didn't order an ice cream soda. I just wanted a cherry soda. They said, well, we gave you a cherry soda. You know, it was just the words they used checking out of a little supermarket Uh, person would say to me, I had maybe four or five uh, items. They would say, do you want me to put it in a sack? I'm saying a sack. I only have five items, put it in a bag. Uh, So (laughs) it really, it really was uh, a culture shock. Even on campus, my accent back then was so strong and dramatic that people on campus would stop me and say, "Hey, Tony, say coffee, say you know, car, say uh, you know, whatever." Uh, so it was, it was a nice experience.
0: Well, I live in Ohio, so I'm right next door to Indiana. <laughs> I, I totally get that. So, so when you, when you went to Notre Dame, what did you? What was your major? What did you study? Well, here's an interesting
1: little twist. So when I took my SATs, you know, the, the exams, yeah, yeah. I scored in the 99 plus percentile in math and the 44th percentile in uh, English and comprehension, which was a, a problem for me. Yeah. So when I went to Notre Dame, uh, you have to uh, go through this orientation and you sit in with a counselor and the counselor is asking you what you want to major in. Well, my strength was math. So I said, I want to major in math. And the counselor, I got to tell you, this counselor must have been quite uh, smart and intuitive and said, you know, I'm not sure that you would do well in math uh, because your English uh, comprehension is so low. And I'm saying, what? And he said, well, when you get into higher math, you know, a lot of the problems you have to read the problems they are not like X plus, you know, Y, et cetera. Uh, uh, yeah. and he said, you would have, you, you really would have a problem. He said, I really think you'd do better in business, which really was where my strength was. Yeah. So, uh, I majored in business. I majored in marketing. Actually, I should have majored in finance because of the math background, but, uh, marketing really was my strength. And, and, uh, the, between my uh, freshman and sophomore year, sophomore and junior year, junior and senior year. Uh, my parents only had enough money to pay for year one. So I had to try to earn money, uh, you know, to, to pay my tuition. Uh, I started, uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in construction. I wasn't one week into construction. I was on the roof. Uh, the contractor came up to me, knelt down beside me, put his arm around me and said, Tony, become a doctor. because I, I really, you know, I was hammering nails like this rather than like this, you right. know. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. so that night, I talk about interesting uh, being in the right place at the right time and 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 luck. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and we can certainly talk about this as yeah, we go sure. through this. But that night, I'm I'm at a party, and uh, when I was at at uh, Tom's River High School, I was on the football team, and. Somebody who was, a, who was a junior when I was a senior, uh, you know, between my, my freshman and sophomore years in college, he had now just graduated. I was telling him about my story about getting fired in construction. He said, mm-hmm. Why don't you come work where I'm working? I'm selling cookware, pots and pans door to door, and it's good money if you're good. Well, I wow. knew I, I, I had a uh, propensity toward persuasion. And I was—I had a gift of gab, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, I tried that out, won all kinds of awards, made a ton of money in nine weeks. Earned almost five thousand dollars in nineteen sixty-six. Wow! Little did I know, at the same time, I'm selling cookware on the Jersey Shore. Another person was selling the exact same cookware, Salad Master Cookware, in Texas.
0: I know. A- what? I absolutely know who it had to be. Zig. That's right. Zig Ziegler
1: yeah. was selling the same cookware, uh, and and we got to be friends later. Uh, we actually were on a tour in uh, well wow. in Australia, and and shared some stories about that. That was that uh, is so awesome. Great experience. I,
0: I, I was getting. I I didn't want to interrupt you. I was like, wait a minute. Zig Ziegler sold cookware. T-. I'm friends with Tom and Julie and Cindy. I love the the Ziegler family. So. So you sold cookware and you went out door to door.
1: I went out door to door. I, I sold differently than Zig sold. Zig, in my opinion, I mean, he a great salesperson, no question about right, it, but yeah, right. he did cooking demonstrations. And I have to tell you, it wasn't until my the year between my uh, uh, sophomore and junior year that I actually tasted something in the cookware that I was selling the year before. And when I tasted it, It was uh, it was uh, waterless cookware. Yeah, and I said, "Holy cow, this is absolutely incredible!" I mean, the flavor of they made carrots, just carrots. Yeah, I I was saying, "This is incredible." So I never sold cooking in the house, which I think would have been a lot easier. I had to sell. Uh, you know, with this, uh, this vision of how good it was. Uh, Again, I I did very well all three summers between my freshman, sophomore and junior years. uh, And it well between my sophomore, junior and senior years, and uh, earned money, I paid all my tuition, room, board, spending money, travel. uh, And it was then that I realized, you know what, I I really am a good salesperson, made a lot of money, sold, I uh, made I got the uh, awards wow. uh, you know for selling. And, and that really set my mind that i I could be a a, a good salesperson. not that I wanted to, but that I
0: could I, I i've I've said many times, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree, but I think every kid coming out of high school, should go out and sell door to door for at least one year, if not two, before they decide what they're going to major in in college or what their vocation is going to be. It's 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 life changing when it when, is. You, when you go out and do that. Here's an interesting uh, uh,
1: example to to reinforce that. Uh, when Jim Cathcart and I were partners in La Jolla, California, we hired this. guess she was 19 years old. She was at San Diego State. She was a freshman, I think, majoring in computers. Uh, Her name was Holly Olson. And uh, that summer between her freshman and sophomore year, uh, she went out into the south of the United States and sold books, what was the name of the company, the Southwestern, Southwestern company that uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones used to give speeches to every year. Yeah. She came back and one of my other uh, really close friends, Rick Barrera said, Tony, uh, you should not have Holly as your gopher, you know, our, our shipping and handling person. She killed it this past summer selling books, you should put her into marketing and sales, which we did. And uh, she became our head of marketing, our, our, our wow. top salesperson. And 17 years later, so in, in 2000, she had been with me now for 17 years. And I spun her off into her own business. And we can get into why I did yeah. that. But I spun her off and... Uh, she created a business called Speaker's Office. And within five years, she took over total control of it, total ownership of it. But what it was is I said, "You, why don't you manage speakers? Instead of working for me, work for yourself. And every time you book me for a speech, you'll get a percentage. Every time you sell my books and tapes, you'll get a percentage. And I'll get you at least three other speakers, Jim Cathcart being one of them. Wow. Uh, so that you will be making the same amount of money that you were making when you're working for me, well, here she is today uh her number one uh client that she markets is brene brown best selling uh wow. uh I'm still on her site i'm uh what they call emeritus, which means sent out to pasture uh. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jeez. uh but anyway, yeah, so she, it, so, you know, it gets back to what you said. She went out, never knew she would be a salesperson. She was going to be in computers, realized she was that good in selling. And uh, now as a superstar, salesperson runs her own business, very successful. And yeah. I do believe that even if for one summer after high school, every kid should go out and try to sell for that summer yeah. and experience it.
0: Totally agree with that. I I think that, and it doesn't matter what it is, you learn how to effectively communicate with other human beings when you're doing that. And I think that's a huge problem in our society is people just don't know how to effectively communicate. Yeah. So I I think that it's it's you're you're spot on. So so you you were doing the 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 cookware sales, um, and and obviously you did well. Where did things go for you from there? Did you stay in college and graduate and all of that? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, uh, back then you always had to go
1: through in four years. So I went through in four years, uh, and uh, then went to, uh, the university of Connecticut, which we call UConn, uh, in Storrs, Connecticut for my MBA. I was in a special one year MBA program, uh, and, and, I found the MBA program at at the University of Connecticut to be certainly no harder and very likely somewhat easier than the courses I took at Notre Dame. That's how uh, rigorous the courses were at Notre Dame. Wow. Uh, And uh, after I got my my MBA, I had to decide what to do. And I again went into a counselor's office and we were talking about possible jobs and uh, they steered me toward being uh, a college prof. So wow. I got a job at Susquehanna University, which was in Seelands Grove, Pennsylvania, 45 miles north of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And was there for a couple of years. Uh, went out to California, uh, to Fullerton, California. Taught for one year there. I was teaching sales at Cal State Fullerton and the head of the marketing department actually had the best selling sales book uh, in college. I mean, it was a runaway bestseller. Of course, I had to use his book uh, and uh, did that for one year. And I realized this was now 73. And I said to myself, you know, I really like college teaching. And uh, in order to stay in it, you really needed that ultimate calling card, which is a PhD. So I looked around the country for a college uh, to get my PhD, uh, wow. and I, I wound up at Georgia State University in Atlanta. And here's why: number one, they gave me a full-time instructor position teaching sales, uh, which allowed me, you know, to, to
0: live. Yeah, sure. And
1: the head of the department—that well, not—he wasn't really the head of the department. He was uh, a, a, a prof who had written a best-selling, multi-million best-selling book that I had read as a teenager that had a real positive impact on me because I loved to read self-help books yep. when I was younger. And uh, his name was uh, Dr. David Schwartz. He wrote the book, *The Magic of Thinking Big*. Oh my
0: God! You are you kidding me? No, no. Wow. So
1: I called up the university before I made any decision, got uh, Dr. Schwartz on the phone, said, look, I'm considering coming there. Uh, I read your book. It had an impact on me. Would you agree to be my doctoral dissertation chairman? He said, absolutely. So I went there. He was a, a very active, successful, uh, motivational speaker, too, yeah. uh, you know, based on that book. Uh So as I was going through that, that program, I finished all my coursework in, uh, in 12 months, uh, wrote my proposal for my dissertation, which was based on buyer seller similarity as a determinant of success in selling. But it was based on buyer seller similarity based on demographics, age, height, you know, et cetera. And, uh, I guess probably November of of 73, no, 74, excuse me. I go to this little private session on social styles, uh, which I had not been exposed to before. And they introduced this four style concept called social style sales strategies. At the time it was being used by Larry Wilson uh, of Wilson Learning. And it was about four basic patterns of behavior, the amiable, expressive, analytical, and driver. Well, when I saw that, uh, you know, if I can take uh, an example from uh, personal relationships, love at first sight, I looked at that and I said, that is what I want to do. That is what I want to focus on. I immediately went back to Dr. Schwartz and I said, "Uh, Dr. Schwartz, I want to change what, what the proposal was from demographics to psychographics. He looked at me and he said, absolutely not. <laughs> he said, you got the proposal accepted, finish it, get out of here. And then if you want to focus on these four style models, do it once you get out of here with your PhD, too many people. He said too many people, you know, start changing their dissertation and never finish. They call it an ABD, all but dissertation. Finished their coursework, got through their oral exams, but never finished their their doctoral dissertation, which is what I did. I finished, when I finished, I uh, got a a teaching position at the University of San Diego. That's why I moved here to San Diego, uh, was a professor at the University of San Diego, 76, 77. In in, uh, 78, I I really was torn because I had started speaking part time in 74. Because once I saw that social styles, I said, this is really what I want to do. And I started giving some speeches, uh, started doing a little bit more and more. So Uh, When the the fall semester came around in 1978, the dean of the School of Business said, hey, Tony, you've got to make a decision. You're either a full time prof or you're a full time speaker. You cannot do both.
0: Yeah.
1: And I said, you know what? I've been teaching now for eight full years at the university level. Uh, I really have not done professional speaking full time. Uh, so you know what I'm going to put on my resignation and at the end of the fall semester, which was December of 78, I am going to quit and I'm going to start in January of 79 be a full time speaker. And, and here's where it comes all the way around. Uh, one of my first speeches as a full-time professional speaker was speaking for century 21, you know, the big real estate. Oh, company. Yeah. yeah. And one of the the ways that they paid us is they gave us a booth. So during breaks, all of the real estate agents can come and look at the booths. I had my book, non-manipulative selling, which had just come out in January, 1979, my first book. But listen to this. Wow. The guy who had the booth next to me comes over during a break and he looks at my book and he's thumbing through the book. And he said, you know, if I wrote a book, this is what it would be," he said. "Do you mind if I sell it?" I said, "I'd love for you to sell it." And we introduced each other. I said, "I'm Tony Alessandra. He said, "I'm Jim Cathcart." Oh wow! And that was the beginning wow. of our relationship, our partnership. Uh, it was it really was incredible. So I, I really so that's when I became January of seventy nine a full time professional
0: speaker. So talk about because you go from being a professor to a full-time speaker um was there a a period because here's here's one i think that people look at people like you um who you've put in your time you've 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 taken the lumps you've been through it all i'm sure but you went from being a a professor paid by the university to now you you're you're your boss. You're nobody else is writing your paycheck. It's up to you, right? Did you yeah. go through any periods of financial, like, oh my God, what are we gonna do here?
1: Uh, well, absolutely. And right. here's here's the interesting thing. When I
0: quit at
1: the University of San Diego, I was actually earning twice as much part-time speaking as I was as a full-time prof. I mean, oh, really, it was incredible. Wow. But I did not realize. All the extras I got at the university. So uh, when I went on my own in January, wait a second! I got to pay for my own health insurance. Right. I don't have a pension plan. I don't have an assistant. I got to pay for all of my my supplies, etc.,
0: yeah.
1: uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So there were there were a few months where it was touch and go yeah. as I was really starting to get into the groove of things. Yeah. Uh, and there was another major transition because when i when i went from prof to professional speaker
0: yeah
1: i i started speaking to the adults you know to the groups that i was speaking to as a prof and it wasn't until a couple of years later and i was doing i was doing okay by, by that time so it was 1981 and one of the great great speakers all time was a guy named bill gove okay. bill gove was the first president of the national speakers association wow. uh he was sort of like his speaking style was sort of like the uh uh what was his name burns uh the the comedian uh george burns george, george burns he george was sort burns. of george burns of yeah. professional speaking really good and I spent the weekend with him uh, in a coaching, a speak, speaking coaching session. And it was, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Friday night, uh, he puts his arm around me and he said, Tony, he said, you know, off stage, you are a mischievous uh, New York City Italian, uh, you're funny. Uh, but on stage, you come across two professional. Uh, It's not your style. He said, you really need to let that New York City Italian come out. And it just so happened the next night, Saturday night, I actually had a speech, uh, you know, during this coaching thing. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try it uh, the next night. And I got to tell you, I it wasn't as easy, you know, to immediately start doing this. But I allowed more of my New York style to come out. Uh and it's interesting. If you if you are, are now Jim Cathcart is a very polished professional speaker. And if Jim yeah. makes a mistake, the audience will notice it. But a New York speaker, if you <laughs> yeah. make a mistake, it doesn't matter, you know? Uh, so uh, on that Sunday, I came back into the coaching session with with uh with him, with Bill Gove, and I told him how it went the night before. And he said, "You know, I uh, that that's really what you've got to do." And I have to tell you, there were two things that I can think of off the top of my head that had a certainly a turbocharge to my speaking career. Number one was allowing that New York City Italian persona to come out.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and I mean it. My career just took off. Wow. The second major turbocharge to my career was I believe in 87, when we finally moved away from, all of us were using audio demo, audio cassettes as yeah, our right. demo that we would send to people. Yeah. You know, an audio demo doesn't show the visual aspects of speech. Right. And you know, as an Italian, what do we do? We use our hands, yeah, you use our face. Yeah. So uh, there was a uh, a great speaker, Lane Longfellow, who created, in my opinion, the first uh, video demo. It was unbelievable. I saw that wow. and I said, this is the future. And I immediately, I mean, it cost me $10,000. Back then it was a lot of money in 87. Yeah. In, uh, yeah. And I sure. said, you know, I'm going to create a video demo. Once that video demo came out and I was one of the absolute first people to have a video demo, It was explosive in terms of what it did for my career. Uh, You know, for over 30 years, I averaged about 100 paid speeches per year all over the world. But 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 really kind of burned out. Uh, The travel was it just was too much for me. Yeah. I have over 12 million frequent flyer miles on American Airlines. Wow. 12 million. And uh, wow. so it gets back to that story I, I alluded to earlier. I went to Holly Catchpole. She was married then. now yeah. I'm not Holly Wilson anymore. I went to Holly Catchpole. I said, Holly, you know, we've been talking about this. I've been hinting about it, but I'm going to spin you off all my staff. You take everything. You take all the staff, the office, the mailing lists, every, the computers, and you have the business and you just book me. And what I will do is not only speak as I have been speaking, but I'm going to develop a new business that allows me to run a business from anywhere, but particularly from home. Yeah. And that was the assessment business here. Assessments. Oh, it's on this. No, it's on this side. (laughs) Assessment uh, 24x7.com. And that's when I started building this business while I was speaking. And my goal was, as this assessment business grew, that I would speak less and less and less and less. So here it was, beginning of uh, 2000, I found this young kid, I think at the time he was uh, 22, at the beginning of of, of 2020. This year he's going to turn 45. Uh, and I said to him, you know, you do some programming, can you help me build this online assessment business? Now, why an assessment business? Let's go back to 1974, when I went to that little session on social styles, and I said, this is my future. So, I created a paper-based assessment that determined whether you were one of these four styles, and All all the way from 74 to 96, I used that, even in my speaking, uh, to determine somebody's behavioral style. Some people call it a personality style, but it really is a behavioral style. Uh, But in 96, I decided to put that assessment. We called it the platinum rule. Now, you know the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The platinum rule is do unto others as they would have you. Doing to them. Right. So I put that online and it was a runaway success. 10,000 people plus a month were taking that assessment. It was free. It was free. Uh, Because I wanted to sell my book. Uh, It was really aimed at selling the book. And it really took me, Ken, it took me four years. Me, supposedly a business expert, took me four years to get that blinding flash of obvious.
0: That this could be a business. Uh, okay, so this and Jim and I have actually talked about this, and 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 I'm I'm probably going to be selling your system. So good, right. I love it. <laughs> right. So so, but the, this is is this obviously the most famous assessment tool in the world by name, at least, is the DISC profile, right? Right. Is it, is it dissimilar to that? Or, or is it the same? What, what are we talking about here? Yeah, what, it is, we, we,
1: we sell millions of disk assessments, millions. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yes. So I, I was using initially from 96 until the very, very early, maybe 2001 or two, I was selling the platinum rule, the platinum rule we use the terminology director, thinker, relate, or later socializer. Jim used the same terminology yeah. in our books together. Yeah. But I, I quickly realized, you know what? DISC is much more widely known. I had actually written a book back in the uh, late 80s with Dr. Michael O'Connor, who was the head of research and development for Performax and Carlson Learning, which was the original DISC company. Wow. This became public domain. Uh so in the early 2000s, I think it was 2001 or two, uh, I decided to focus more on disk. In fact, the first disk assessment that we programmed was for Ken Blanchard.
0: Good he was way. my first customer. Wow. Uh,
1: yeah. So uh, and, and who's my biggest customer now? Uh, hopefully somebody you've heard of a guy named Tony Robbins.
0: Never heard of him. is, yeah, he, it, is he somebody look important? Up. Look him up.
1: It's TonyRobbins.com. But if I've, you go to the Tony Robbins website, geez. I think it's I think it's TonyRobbins.com/disc. D-I-S-C. You'll see that you can take a free disc assessment. It's my assessment.
0: Wow. He does
1: about he does between thirty and forty thousand a month. Come
0: on. Yeah. No.
1: Uh, uh, wow. Uh, wow, so uh, he's he's he uses our assessments, so does Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone used to be my next door neighbor
0: in La Jolla, California. Grant's, Grant's, a, bu- Grant's a buddy of mine, he may he may see this or be watching. So, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, Grant,
1: Grant was my next door neighbor in La Jolla, and wow. you know, Grant eventually moved to Miami, as did Tony Robbins, yeah, uh, probably for tax purposes. California sure. taxes quite a bit. But they use my assessment, uh, Brian Tracy, but but those are names in the in the uh, self-help speaking profession. But we do thousands of coaches use our assessments with their uh, small to medium sized business clients. We have major uh, businesses like Tesla and Microsoft. And I can go on and on. Wow. uh, Major companies that use our assessments. Uh, so that has grown to such a degree, Ken, that here we are, I never, ever have to give another speech, do not need the money, make a lot more with the assessment business than I ever made wow. as a hall of fame speaker. That's uh, crazy. And, and, and what well, I could run the business from my home, Yeah. actually, you know, I, I counting me, there were 16 employees. They're all over the country. We're all virtual. You know, I have one in Atlanta. I have two in Indiana. I've got uh, one in uh, Idaho, one in Nevada. I've got five or six, maybe even seven in Washington State and the rest in California, mostly San Diego.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, I think that covers everybody. Uh, So uh, it's a great business. That kid that I hired at, at uh, 22 or 23 years old. Yeah. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate that for yeah. putting that on. Uh, uh, Tony Robbins' site. Yeah. So uh, that kid now I
0: sold a couple thousand more. Way to go! Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, That's
1: awesome. So uh, that kid who I I hired to initially mm-hmm. build that first online assessment platform is now the CEO of the company. He wow. is an he is an equal partner. I mean, he he has been so instrumental, Brandon Parker, to the growth of this company that I have given up half of my ownership in this company to him because wow. he is that good. Uh, we have an unbelievable COO called Jared Moore, who, in my opinion, can easily take over for, for Brandon. He's that good. But wow. uh, the only thing he, he needs to brush up on is... Uh, is the IT side of the business. He knows everything else. Uh, Jared, he is incredible with our employees. Uh, The great thing about Brandon is how much the employees love him. I think the employees are afraid of me. I don't know why I'm so gentle and calm. It's that New York edge uh, you have. (laughs) I think it is, you know, because even my kids are afraid of me. Dad, don't yell at me. I'm not yelling. You aren't yelling, I'll give you yelling. You know,
0: I, I, I must be from New York somewhere originally. My wife does is I hear the same thing. I, I think you know, and, and Steve Rizzo, New York, Long Island, and, and yeah. you know, and he I'm like, dude, are you are you mad? And he's like, No, what are you talking about? I'm like, that, right. right there, <laughs> like so so. I, I want to go back a little bit because I think that there's a, 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 you mentioned it and we went by it kind of quickly, but it took you four years to realize that you had a, a business and, and four years day by day when you're not really crushing it in life can be a long four years. Right. So, so, you know, talk a little bit about, and, and if you can segue into how that whole thing, because success oftentimes is right there in front of you and you just don't see it. Right. Absolutely. And maybe you're so addicted to the struggle. (laughs) And I think that there are lots of people that get addicted to the struggle and never really see success as a result. Talk about that. Like what, what are some of the things you went through before you had that aha moment? Well, keep in
1: mind that I built that online assessment site to, to actually sell the book. Right. My book called The Platinum Rule. So the right, site was right. called The Platinum Rule. I went there to sell The Platinum Rule book. The Platinum Rule site uh, was so successful it won a Webby Award, which was sort of like an Oscar. Yeah. It was the site of the week in USA Today. And numerous other, I mean, really, it really got a lot of play. But, of course, back in 96, there was really not much like this out there uh, to truly determine, you know, what your style was. Uh, but but here's, here's the issue. I was making a lot of money speaking. Speaking 100 times a year. Yeah. I will not tell you how much uh, my fee was, but it was, you know, in the five figures. So I was making a lot of money and it just pulled my attention away from concentrating on what could be with that site.
0: Yes. And, uh,
1: uh, you know, uh, Brandon, Brandon sort of came along and he's the one who was saying, you know, you're sitting on a gold mine here. Why don't you, why don't you capitalize on it? You're not charging any money for it. Right. And, you know, it was then that I said, you know, uh, I'm getting tired of all this travel and, you know, maybe I should look at that yeah. and uh, develop that. But it even took me a while after we started developing the site and had uh, first customer customers, Ken Blanchard. Second customer was the university of Phoenix. Jeez. And then it kind of went on from there. But uh, it took me a while because the speaking revenue was, was so great yeah. that, It just clouded my vision. Uh, So, you know, here were two positives. See, some people face a negative and a positive, or maybe negatives, but I had two positives. And uh, I wasn't fully appreciating the assessment positive and for what that could lead to, not just financially, but more importantly, uh, in terms of the balance of my life. because my speaking required me to be on the road way too much travel way too much uh and and it just
0: you know it 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 just you know i i let let me throw this in there because you you were I, i was having a conversation with somebody way 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 high up in the nsa a couple years ago um it was on a and, and, and she, she was saying, you know, it was at during the pandemic, she's like speakers are freaking out because everything canceled. Right. And you were in the unique position of, oh, well, <laughs> like, I mean, not, oh, well, but like, you know what I mean? You were in a position where you're like, I'm not reliant on, on that. Yeah, I, had, was, I had zero,
1: zero reliance. You know, my right. assessment business was earning millions of dollars at that time. Wow. And, you know, a lot of my buddies who were truly, unfortunately, suffering would yeah. say to me, damn, you made such a, a great decision back in 2000. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, I also sensed a couple of things that were happening in the in the dot com bust where I lost a lot of money in the dot com bust. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, a lot of people did, you know, I, I, I just said, you know, this is also going to have some impact, uh, possibly. Well, nine 11, uh, happened right after that. Uh, and I said, you know, this is going to have some impact on the speaking business. I wasn't sure what impact, but I felt that it would have some then in the great recession, it had another big impact, uh, And of course, the uh, pandemic had the almost was, uh, you know, the final nail in the coffin. It wasn't really the final nail, but it had an enormous impact. But as that was happening, I was saying to myself, thank goodness I am developing this other business to pull me away from having to rely on having to to create a whole new calendar, you know, as a professional speaker, not a trainer, not a coach, not a consultant, but as a speaker, you got to create your calendar every year. So uh, it, it, it can become a struggle. Uh, So I, I was very fortunate to, uh, you know, to partially see what was going on. Not, I wish I could have totally predicted it, but I did go, create this assessment business that today Incredible. has been a godsend. And many of our my colleagues use this assessment site because, as you said, DISC is arguably the most widely used assessment in the world. Yeah. And uh, we have, for instance, we have the disk assessment in 20 something languages, uh, including, you know, Arabic and Russian and Polish wow. and, you know, uh, Japanese. I can go on and on. So I have distributors in all these countries uh, that that sell the assessment.
0: So that's, it's that's insane. So you're the are you the largest provider of disc in the world? You no, no I, I would not. I would not say I'm the largest provider. Wow. Uh,
1: I would say there's probably a couple of businesses, two or three that may be bigger. Uh, but I will tell you that we have possibly the best visibility. And here's why, Ken. If you look at many of those companies, they were started by people who had more of a technical background, whether it was IT, whether it was uh, statistics, uh, 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 whether it was psychometrics, they had more of a technical background. Hey, my background, marketing, sales, and service. So when I built the site, uh, our first uh, version of the site, I went out to my customers and I said, okay, tell me, what do you like? What don't you like? What should I change? What should I add? What should I delete? And we started adding stuff and changing stuff and editing stuff. And we got to the point where it was almost like the initial 1.0, you know, assessment yeah. 24-7 1.0 was like a Frankenstein. Uh, it was like a strip mall that we added on all these things So we went back and totally rebuilt it from the ground up. We had 2.0. I did the same thing, went out to my customers. Now, let me tell you an interesting thing. I had some customers that would constantly call in and tell us what they did not like. And my employees would say, I cannot believe this person you know, (laughs) constantly complaining about things. And I said, you should be thankful. This is a beta tester for us. Yes. But we don't even have to pay. They're telling us what we should do better. Yeah. So now, Ken, we are on version 5.0. And I got to tell you, it is by far, I don't care if a company is not necessarily a disk company because a disk company is not 10 times our size, but, but maybe a... You know who knows a company ten times, twenty times our size. Our dashboard is superior. It wow. is totally automated, e-commerce enabled. It is. It runs like magic. Uh,
0: it, it allows people to do what they need to do without even thinking about it. I, I, so uh, you know I, this is this is absolutely brilliant. So I personally have hired and trained. I don't even know, hundreds, maybe over a thousand salespeople in in my career. Um, I currently have zero salespeople, uh, and you want to know why? Because I'm a salesperson trying to manage salespeople, and I hate it. I'd rather, and I I despise painting a wall more than anything in the world, and I'd rather do that than hire and train salespeople, wow. and I'm good yeah. at it. It's just the excuses. I can't, I can't handle hearing their excuses, and so I, I, and I've never used DISC, never to hire, and I know that I probably should, but so talk about that because I, th- there are different personality types, and and people don't get this. I, I don't think people really get how important what you're doing is. And so talk a little bit about that, the emotional side. It is emotionally draining to hire somebody, spend two, three weeks training them, paying them money that they're, you know, you're going to be commissioned eventually, but let me pay you until you are. um, And and then they just quit or you force them to leave. Um, Talk about some of that, Tony. This is so important. Yeah, so we
1: have one customer who has been using the disk assessment for over 40 years Wow! in the hiring process. And he has it down. uh, We don't we don't tell people to use the disk as a hiring tool. Not at all. You use if you're going to use it in hiring. Use it as maybe one-fifth or one-sixth of the hiring decision, along with resume, interview, experience, uh, yeah. t- testimonials, you know, or references, et cetera. But not as the sole decision. Uh, right, right. But uh, because OSHA will come after you.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. and, 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 you know, yeah.
1: But anyway, this one person, this one company has been using it for 40 years. Hiring salespeople in the direct in home sales, like how I used to do the cookware sales. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've solar.
0: Done it. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, anyway, yeah. and he has boiled it down to three unique patterns. Now, you know, there's DISC, but there's combinations, and the yeah. combinations, there are 15 classical patterns of combinations, major patterns. And he has boiled it down to three with. Years of documentation that these are the best salespeople. They make the most sales and they stay the longest in their positions. So he has done something that very few people have done. However, there there is a concept called benchmarking and benchmarking is really what you want to do if you want to use any assessment, whether it's disk or something else. Sure. And benchmarking is okay. Can I create a a behavior, a pattern of my top salespeople, what I'm looking for. And it could be, I'm saying salespeople, but it really could be any, any position. It could be uh, executive administrative assistants. It could be, you know, whatever. Uh, So what you want to do is create a benchmark. There's different ways to create benchmarks. You can say, okay, in a big company, you know, where they have a lot of salespeople, let me look at the top Three or five or ten. Have them all take a disc assessment and use one of our very sophisticated algorithms to create a single composite disc report that is a benchmark that that company can use uh, with candidates. And and what they do is the candidates take the disc assessment. It's compared to the benchmark, and then you get a percentage match. Wow. Now, you use that, again, in conjunction with other things. Now, you got to make sure that whatever assessments you're using, they are validated, statistically validated. Uh, they do not create an, create an adverse impact. You know, there are protected groups, uh, gender, age, et-, yeah, uh, yeah. et cetera. So you have to make sure that the assessment does not discriminate against one of those groups. That's called adverse impact. Yeah. Uh, So that's what we do. We make sure that our assessments are fully validated at high levels, typically above a 0.8. I think the the American Psychological Association says it should be above a 0.7. I believe that's true. We're above 0.8. We have adverse impact studies, all statistically validated by an outside statistically based company. We don't do this internally because it's too easy if you do it internally to fudge it. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the way that looks. Let's up at a, you know, a yeah, right. no, no. We use an outside company and it is very expensive because yeah. if it doesn't come in the way you want, you have to start tweaking things. Right. Now, here's another point, Kim uh, two assessments to determine whether somebody is fit for a job most often is better than one assessment, three assessments better than two. Uh, we have something called higher sense. The, our higher sense and our executive summary uh, uh, assessments are three assessments for the report. One is the DISC. One is motivators. DISC tells you how you do what you do. Motivators: why you do what you do. Are you more motivated by altruism or economics or uh, the the love of learning, etc. And then there's the what they call the Hartman Value Profile, uh, HVP, which is measures sort of your uh, critical thinking. So all three of those together is stronger than any single one. Wow! Uh, and, and it does stand up
0: to uh, any type of uh, critique, so to speak. So if if you have <clears throat> if somebody has an organization of Salespeople. I mean, if you have an organization, a company, you probably have salespeople on some level. Um, even dental offices have salespeople; they just may not call them that. Um, but if they're if they're going through struggles in any way, w- will this system help them figure out where the 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 dark spots are in their business? Absolutely. So let me tell you another study that was
1: done by uh, another Hall of Fame speaker, Don Hudson, if you know who he is, from Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. He and one of these high-level statistics guys did a study of a group of dealerships, auto dealerships in Memphis because they were having a, a high turnover. So they did a benchmark study. They came out with the uh, – for DISC, the, the best salespeople were a high D – and on the motivators, this is sort of counterintuitive. Uh, well, this is not. They had a high uh, economic score yeah. and a high altruism score, where they wanted to help people yeah. make the right decisions. Yeah. And so they now, what they did for the, the these dealerships, the dealerships used this benchmark in hiring candidates and found as they measured afterwards that these new salespeople stayed longer. So a higher longevity and made more sales. So this, this benchmark is crucial. Now let's get back to your uh, dental offices and maybe, maybe you want somebody who is more sales oriented. Uh, And maybe there's only one person in the dental office. So we can't do a benchmark study for that one person But we have actually gone into an industry and said, okay, in the industry, let's say the dental industry, which by the way, have we done that? We may have, we may have had somebody do this where they go to dozens upon dozens of dental offices and basically say, Hey, do you have somebody who is a superstar salesperson? And what you do is you find, you know, a dozen or so of those who have yeah. been there a while. They are absolutely incredible. I wish I can get another person like this. I wish I can clone them. And then we do a study on those people, create a benchmark for the industry. And then those small yeah. dental offices who want to hire one person, they at least have a benchmark. So we can do it by an industry.
0: yeah,
1: uh, Or we can do it by a company if the company is big enough and they have enough people. Uh, so, it, you know, there, there's various ways to do this and use the assessments for helping us hire the best people for particular jobs. But Ken, assessments are used not just for hiring people, although that's a, believe me, it's a a significant thing, but also for leadership development, team development, uh, sales skills, we have a bunch of different assessments. It's not just this, we have the right. cue, you know, we have the motivators, we have emotional intelligence. So all of these things yeah. sort of blend together and help you make the right decisions. For me, assessments
0: are like the MRI of the mind. Yep. I totally agree with that. And I think if I ever decide to start hiring again, <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I'm at that point, at the actually, at the moment, I cannot believe we've already been on here 57 minutes. That's insane. Um, which, hey, we can go a few minutes over if you're okay with it. I'm fine. I, I, I do want to ask you this, and I've asked every guest that's been on this question, and um, the number one answer to this question is fear. And, and so you have to do better than that. (laughs) Uh, So the, in life, life is difficult is the first three words of Scott Peck's book. Right. Um, I, I don't know that I totally agree with that, but, but, you know, I, maybe I've already accepted that life can be difficult and that's why I've transcended it. But, but the, the, you know, with the, the, when you take the average person that's out here on the struggle bus and they're trying to trying to make it and they just they can't seem to get it, in your opinion, Tony, what do you think holds people back from two things? Number one, financial success, real financial success. And number two, real freedom and and happiness. And I do think they're related because I've been homeless and broke and I've been very wealthy and wealthy is way better. So, so like, what do you think stops people? I'm going to give you full screen for this answer. What's holding people back in life?
1: Well, one of the things is uh, uh, a lot of people are not risk takers. So uh, they, they play it too safe. And, and you know, there is that uh, relationship betr- between risk and reward. The more risk, the more reward. The less risk, the less reward. So uh, a little yeah. bit more risk taking. Uh, yeah. I-, I also think that uh, sometimes uh, I've seen some what I believe to be very successful people who have not become successful. And one of the reasons is a lack of focus. Uh I think one of the things that, that I, I think helped me in my life is my focus. Mm. When I was a speaker, I focused just on speaking. I didn't let other things uh, take me away. I focused on a topic and didn't say I can speak on anything, uh, even if somebody wanted me to speak on something. That, you know, So there has to be focus. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, focus, I think, is crucial uh, being a little bit more of a risk taker. Some people are afraid of change. So they stay in a, in a, in a position that they're unhappy with. Uh, it's not financially, uh, successful because they're afraid of change. Uh, and I think they have to look at change a little bit differently. Uh, whenever I am faced with something negative and I have to tell you, and I know this is, Uh, probably not something you hear a lot, but I have had in my life, very few negatives. Uh, Again, I, it's like, I have, I've had an angel on my shoulder or, you know, back at one of those Walt Disney things, Jiminy Cricket.
0: Whispering in my
1: ear. ear. Uh, And, and I've been really lucky in life, Uh, but I've been focused in life. And and uh, but whenever I'm faced with a difficult situation, something isn't going right or the way I think it should. I have a saying, and you've you've heard this before. And I have to tell you, it works. It works. It works. The saying is, "This too shall pass." Yep. And when something's not going right, I know I'm going to stick with what I'm doing because I know this too shall pass. Uh, and I will tell you this why. Some people have told me this but I don't know I don't know why I have all this luck in life but you know I do I firmly believe in what goes around comes around yeah and I am very helpful and generous uh not just with my family but with people yeah and uh I don't do it because I I want to get something out of it I do it because it's my nature uh but People have said to me, you know, you've got good karma because of what you do. Things are going to come back. May not come back from that person. May not come back in the same way, but things are going to come back. And and I believe it. And because I believe it, more of it happens. I, it's crazy.
0: I I, <laughs> I preached this, like I I, I you know and I'm sure you have a gazillion stories or examples of where you, you helped somebody. I, I, I love to help people just randomly strangers, just, you know, a hundred dollar tip here or whatever, like just to, and, and I've seen it and without expecting anything in return, I, I don't ever, ex, I just know that it's good to help people. And, and, it always comes back. And I think that we live in a society that's, that's had this, this shift into what's in it for me (laughs) and, and, and really obsessed with what's in it for me. And, and, um, if people can have that, that shift that you're, you're talking about, I, I, this, this world and their lives will be so much better. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, Ken,
1: even when I was a kid,
0: uh,
1: I cannot tell you how many fist fights I got in uh, (laughs) in New York and New Jersey by sticking up for somebody who was being picked on or bullied. Yeah, I I hated that. I hated Mm. bullies and I hated uh, uh, people taking advantage of others. So I always was in there uh, fighting for them with nothing in return. It just was my nature
0: that's that we're a lot alike I I, I love that I love that. I've gotten beaten up for sticking up for people <laughs> so I love that Tony you are uh, first uh, thank you for for coming on today and and investing so much time and and sharing unbelievable wisdom I I hope that some people got, something out of this. It was amazing. I have assessments 24by7.com up on the screen scrolling there. Is there any other place that people can connect with you or follow you? Well, if they want to go to my my actual web, my personal
1: website, it is uh, alessandra.com. You you can see my name there, a-l-e-s-s-a-n-d-r-a.com and they'll see some of my speaking background, my product, you know, et cetera. But, uh, I, I can't remember the last time I updated that site, maybe about two or three years ago. Is that um, it
0: right there? Did I get that right? Yeah, that's it. That's
1: it. Okay. Alessandra.com. Alessandra. So that's a little bit about me and my, my background, my bio, et cetera, because I don't really tap myself at assessments 24 seven, uh, so uh, it really it's alessandra.com we'll tell you more about me
0: now are you still speaking are you going anywhere doing sp- speaking yeah, so i
1: don't really i don't really speak for money now but i do speak for my assessment clients for instance in march i flew to london and spoke for action coach they had maybe about a 1000 to 1200 people in the audience wow so i spoke there and then came back like four days later. And the North American uh, uh, group of action coach had their big convention in Las Vegas, I spoke for them. Wow. But that's really what I do. uh, Typically speaking for my assessment clients. But I mean, it's not it's not that I would not speak again. Uh, It just depends on what comes up. However, I told my wife, uh, when I came back from London, I was so sick. I didn't have COVID because if I did, I wouldn't have gotten out of London. Yeah, right. But I was so sick. And four days later, I had to give a a 90-minute keynote in Las Vegas to hundreds upon hundreds of action coaches, many of them who had seen me before. So they knew what I was like. Uh, I had some, not total, but some laryngitis. Wow. Uh, And I had a push. And, and call up adrenaline. Well, I got a thunderous standing ovation on that speech. And I said to my wife, you know what? That should be my mic drop speech. That should be the end. I want to go out like Sandy Koufax after <laughs> winning the ERA and the MVP uh, you yeah. know, in baseball and not stay longer than that. That's a great, great way to to quit so that that's my thinking right now
0: is it yeah i i don't i i feel like i need to need to convince you otherwise (laughs) but wow you are incredible and i am i am honored to have had you on the show hall of fame speaker uh you you've done so many amazing things i'm uh I'm honored to know you, and I, I I've got to say a special thank you to to Jim Cathcart for introducing us and and convincing you that you should be on my show. So thank you, Jim. I appreciate it.
1: Well, he didn't have to do that much convincing, because you know he. Had, whenever Jim says something, uh, he 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 gives me only the things that he knows that I should do, and I just do it.
0: Wow. Uh, That's so the
1: only, the only bone I have to pick with Jim Cathcart was him moving away from San Diego, uh, because, you know, we used to do so much together and his wife, Paula and my wife, Sue are best friends. So they would do a lot of things, uh, together, Uh,
0: you know, Bob Donnell. Yes. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Bob is awesome. 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 Awesome, man. Um, so wow, Tony, thank you so much. If you will hang on for me, I'm going to end the live stream and you and I can finish up, but thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on today and sharing so much of your wisdom and, and you're just a good man. Thank you.
1: Well, My pleasure. And thanks for having
0: me as a guest. Thank you. And everybody who's been on here, thank you. And if you shared this out, thank you. If you didn't share it out, there is time to redeem yourself and <laughs> you can share it out. So, so thank you all. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you, Tony. Thank you.